Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Well, we have some questions for you, but before we go to the fun questions, you were telling us about the different Indian culture and the food the other day. Yeah. So tell us more about that. So India, from the tip of the north down to south, which is the tip of India down south, has varied culture. If I were to put them in broad brackets, you could do... The north itself could be divided into two cultures. So one is the Punjabi, the North Indian culture, which is largely influenced by, uh, you know, the Mughals. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the chicken tikkas and mutton tikkas and mutton seeks and kebabs that you eat in Delhi mm -hmm. are influenced by that. Okay. And then there is a belt which has, um, you know, the Kashmiri belt, which is one belt in itself and they have a completely different palate if you ever were to go down there it's it's the kind of food that probably none of us relate to really really it's very different in flavors it's very different in its Sp cooking style spices spices too right Spicier. and no actually not but more flavorful okay. not spicier but more flavorful as you start progressing down south is when the spice levels sort of keep going up and higher. Ah, so the South Indian and the Chetanad food or the, the food that you get in the coastal areas is very heavy on the Indian spices. Also, the cinnamon sticks and the clove that you get in India largely comes out of that belt. So they use a lot of those spices, right? They come to the north to be used, but they're used in milder quantities. While there, they go all out, and it's all about the different flavors coming together. It's far more spicy. There's an acquired palate for that kind of food, yeah. right? But it is delicious. You go off to the west, and that's... Again, yet another belt, a lot of coconut, uh, more coastal, and you know, so you see a lot of coconut flavors going into everything. Uh, the east is largely a fish eating region, the kind of food you ate yesterday. Uh, that again uh, has a lot of influence of the British culture and what the Brits left behind for us. So when the Britishers were here, they were called the East India Company, right? That, that's how they were known. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they were headquartered out of the East. And they had a large, large part into giving our culture 
our reading, our railways, our trading, everything. A lot of, of good things. A lot, a lot of, of processes. Things. Yes, a lot of administrative yeah. um, excellence that came into India. We we learned a lot from them. Was there a lot of cross like English and Indian relationships? Is there a uh, no. heavy cross population? I guess is that what it, you would say? Or no, it isn't really race? because no because um, the Britishers of care of course thought themselves to be far superior than the Indians. So we've seen signboards which were very popular, like "No dogs and no Indians allowed" in high-profile clubs. I mean, those are places from that back we have then. from back then, and which is only 75 years ago. Really, not that back then. And uh, yeah, uh, I think we've come a far way. But like, for instance, my granddad, he's seen and fought the freedom struggle. He's no more now. But my dad's seen it. He was a child, so he's. He's seen, you know, sort of people coming out of under the British colonization and coming into a free India. So we've taken some time to stand on our feet, but I think we are sort of getting there. Yes, but some parts of the country are very influenced by the British culture in a good way, right? Um, we like the car, the cars, yes. Which and y'all, y'all always drive on the wrong side, right? <laughs> the right side as for us. You guys drive on the wrong side. Okay, well, I say tomato, you say tomato, but that's uh, right. Since y'all, did y'all drive on the wrong side of the road pre-English colony rule? Yes, we did. Okay. Oh, well. Yes, we did. Yeah. So maybe they learned that from y'all. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> well, the sun never set on them is what we've heard in terms of their colony and ruling the world, but. Yeah, we don't know what came from where, really. But you know, yes. I heard that um, King George used to have a statue in front of the Indian temple, India temple, India dome. What's the, the, at the India arch that's down the street from the, the, the prince? Hey, no, the India, the India gate. Are India you referring gate. India to? gate. No, so the India gate is completely different. That came into existence, really. Right. After our independence. Right, and then the English gave it to August you. August 17. No, this was, so if you go closer, you will read the, read the names yeah. of all the martyrs, all the people that died fighting for the Indian independence. Right. They have their names engraved on that. But our tour guide told us that the British gave you, the English gave that. They may have period. given us the structure, and yes. I'm not very sure about that, but the engraving and the 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 fire that you see in the middle that never goes out it's a 24 hour wow. running fire that's kept on as an ode to the bravery and the sacrifice of all these men and they were not even defense personnel there were people from individual households who stepped out and say that said that we are going to fight for our country and we want to free india but the the little pergola or Thing that's in front of it, this small one used to have a King George statue in it, which has been removed and is now a fountain. Yes, that's right. History. <laughs> yeah, okay. History one. I oh, give that one. to you. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. And what else do you want to know about <laughs> India? <laughs> Tell me about the Taj. <laughs> okay, the Taj Mahal was built yeah. because the king's wife, third wife, died 
She's his favorite wife. She was died during childbirth of their 14th child. The favorite wife? Well, that's yeah. what, because he had multiple. Yeah. We were told that he had three wives, but today we heard he had six. So, and lots of concubines and lots of... She was of, the third. She was the third and yeah. his favorite. Yeah. She died during childbirth. It took 22 years to build. She had three wishes. She had three wishes that he only, I guess, date or be with beautiful women. Take that care of the kids. take care of the kids and to build her a temple. And he did all three of a those. A tomb, yeah. Yeah, or a tomb, yeah. Yes. That's right. There's 170 people buried at the tomb that we saw today. That's right. Um, everyone's family, cousins, everyone are buried there. Whereas at the Taj, it's only two people that are buried there. They are built, they are buried underground, but they are supposed to not have a roof on them. But when you get buried in the Taj or other those kind of tombs they have small windows so he told us that <laughs> the spirits have to kind of find their way out whereas, that's hilarious whereas, yeah. <laughs> whereas usually it is open so that they can go up to heaven people are buried with their feet to the south head to the north face to the west towards Mecca it sounds like it could be a dance did you know that? no I didn't Honestly, I didn't. All those people in the tombs. I, I would, I would assume the spirits can go through walls. No, I mean, that's, they, they can't. They have to find the window, and they. She's stuck back on the window. Yeah, but I'm talking about the way they're buried. I'm happy because I'm scared of the supernatural world. I'm yeah, happy they can't come through walls. But everyone, everyone is buried flat, with their feet towards the south, head at the north, face to the west, facing Mecca, because Mecca is ultimately heaven. Should we ask her one question and then we let's continue. It's okay. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, we have to. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to read it's, it to it you. It says, How dare you? Yeah, that's why it's <laughs> hilarious. Okay, I got to get my glasses on because this is what old people mean now. Okay. Was there ever a time in your life that you were thought you were going to die while planning a wedding? Yes. Okay. Tell us. <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this wedding was in Portugal. And the uh, famous, yeah, famous one. Portugal. Portugal. Yes, uh, Portugal special. Yeah, it, it has a whole lot of stories. But yeah, we started as the planners from India, sort of overlooking everything for our clients from Dubai, and they already had a Portuguese planner on board before they got us on. And a part of the deal was that she's going to do everything, and you just need to sort of supervise for us. Um, that everything is done as per the Indian culture and that we don't go wrong in the ceremonies. Was she Portuguese? Yes, she was Portuguese. And the client's only concern was that the ceremony should go as per the Indian culture. So, you know, when if you're facing east while we take the feras, we should not be suddenly facing west or south and I mean that's just considered really inauspicious in the Indian. Unless you're very yeah. you want to face Mecca. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so um, it started from there and as we went along, things started unfurling and of course the Portuguese people, I mean it is their culture so I don't want to be mean by saying anything but they were really slow. Right. One is that they were slow. We had eight months to go for the wedding and we kept saying, send us details, send us the plans, send us the layouts, send us the budgets and let's close things. And because we were operating from India, the client was from Dubai and they were from Portugal, 
there were only so many times that one could come together physically to meet, right? Yeah. So everything really had to happen on emails and Zoom calls and that's how it was happening. Uh, from the first time that we went and met the client and the Portuguese planner, three months in, I got nothing. Nothing. Not an email to say, this is the plan, this is the design, this is what it's looking like, this is what we're planning to do. So that went, sort of sent alarm bells saying that, okay. And we said, never mind, let's push them. So I took a trip to Portugal with my business partner and I said, let's just go there and sort it out. Maybe it's their season and let's just sort of figure it out. Went there, met them. They were super sweet. Of course, during the days we sat, we were there for about seven days. We sat and we discussed plans and we said, okay, let's do it like this. We sat with them, made sure that the plans were made as per the Indian culture in terms of, you know, the directions and the layouts and as per what our guests expect. And she said, yeah, go back and this will be on your mail before you land. We landed back in India. Two months go by no mail still sometimes you just gotta go in person <laughs> that's right so here we are sitting in the middle of august with with the wedding scheduled for 8th 9th 10th of october and i remember that because it was her birthday that day as well when we were starting on the 12th rather sorry so 12th 13th and 14th and um, we were on I think the Independence Day weekend for us August. and August, which is 15th of August. And the client calls from Dubai and says, guys, what's going on? You know, we haven't heard from them. And what do we do? And we're like, okay, just give us 24 hours. If nothing, then we hop onto a flight again. Again. And then uh, anyhow, we got um, an email from them. And... Uh, with plans, proposals, budgets, which were five times of what they had initially quoted to the client. And uh, the client threw the biggest shit fit, saying that this isn't happening. And within the next 48 hours, the client was here in India, and they're Indians. And they sat across the table with us, and they said, what if you were to execute this sitting out of India. How much? Right? Let's assume we keep them because we've committed to them. But you take over the production. And Chetan and I looked at each other and we're like, we're one month to go. I mean, okay, a little over a month to go. 30 days for the ship to move from India to Portugal. Seven days in customs. And... Then, and that's if they release everything. That's when they release, if they release everything. If, if. Walk backwards, 12th, you're already on 17th of August. So 30 days, you're back in September, which leaves us with exactly 15 days to produce a wedding from the drawing board with 600 people to cater for. That's insane. Right? And the next thing we know is we quickly turn around the numbers saying that, okay, if you were to do this from India, this is how much it's going to cost. We were on the flight. So 15th, 17th, I think 19th is when the client went back. 20th is when we went to Dubai. 
the Portuguese planners were flown into Dubai. They sat us across the table and they said, okay, these guys are doing this and you're doing this because we have to cut it in the center. Your budgets don't work for us. So we'll do some bits of it from India and we'll do some bits of it from Portugal. And I think that was the time that I ever felt that, oh my God, what if we don't deliver? Then what? I'll die. Yeah, I mean, really, because... Really the, the slither up <laughs> under that blanket and disappear quickly. <laughs> I was thinking that uh, the Portuguese planner jumped across the table and went like... Oh, that happened during the wedding, mind you. So to you? To, not to me, but they were really difficult to my team. So anyway, this happened and we moved there. And I remember, you know, we split the events half and half. And we managed to move and ship material from here and we flew in not seven days before but we really parked ourselves there 15 days saying that okay we need to get things out of the customs, we need to get it going etc etc and uh, when the event was on so we were doing all the florals from India I kid you not all the florals from India at one-fourth the cost of Portugal with the shipping with carrying 30 people from here, paying for their stay, their labor, everything. And Portugal like is supposed to be so really? cheap. It's, it's supposed to by, be very By standards cheap. of yeah. Americans, so, it's cheap. So they did that. And then uh, we're there, we're working. And then in, on one afternoon, which I think was the wedding, the main wedding day, my team member comes like, with tears in her eyes and we were having lunch and I said what happened what happened are you okay and she sat down and she said yeah I'm okay let's just get this over with but it's just been a horrible experience I said what happened and then the Portuguese planner said something to her which was completely uncalled for so I mean in pure Bollywood style if I may say so I thumped the table threw my plate in the air and I said how dare she <laughs> I walked up to her and my entire team was running behind me that, you know, calm down, calm down. This is not the way things happen. I said, what is your problem? You know, we're here yeah. delivering an event. What is the problem? Next 24 hours, it's all over. Let's move on. Right. I mean, let's get on with it. Yeah. And that's when she came to me and she told me, you took my business away. And, right. and I turned around and told her, you tried to cheat my client. And you didn't do your job. And you didn't do your job. So had you so, stuck yeah. to what you had said, we wouldn't even be here. So, so she took no accountability for the response or responsibility for not communicating. Like she didn't no. feel that she had done anything and wrong. Being five no. times more That's insane. And being five times more expensive than what they had originally That's quoted. Insane. Yeah, and, That's and insane. Yeah. And then... Um, I mean, it was just like, yeah, that's how much it costs here. And we had to bring in everything from outside of Portugal because it was more like a monopoly and a union that everybody was sort of coming together and saying, hey, you can't get this and you can't this. And we said, fuck it. We just yeah. going to bring everything. And we reached out to people from Vienna. And they came in, did the event end to end with not a nail from Portugal in one-fourth the cost. That's amazing. That's great. Right? That's and of course, amazing. we made our money. It's not like we did it right. for free. Right? right. So That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. 
Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember, the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.